This podcast is an invitation to feel and experience the souls of famous old Hollywood homes and to have an in-depth journey to the areas where they're located through interviews with longtime residents. Either you're a fan of old Hollywood in Los Angeles, planning to have a vacation, or an even bigger step, considering a certain area for your future home. This is your opportunity to receive valuable information and insightful advice you won't find anywhere else. Hello, hello, and welcome to my podcast. Are you in the mood for California? Today, we'll explore and feel Los Angeles through the eyes of a Hollywood actress, Lee Purcell. I thought it was the most beautiful place on earth. I couldn't believe it when I saw fruit growing on trees. (laughs) I was just amazed that you could just reach up and pick an orange or a lemon or a grapefruit or an apple. And, you know, none of the places I lived had that. Mm. And then I thought it was, it was so beautiful. It was so colorful, Los Angeles was, with all the vivid flowers and plants and trees and charming houses. And I just thought it was the most beautiful place on earth. And I made my decision when I was very young that I was going to live in Los Angeles. Masha Korpacheva is a California-based realtor and a member of the National Association of Realtors in Los Angeles. She's an advocate for selling and buying homes with soul and practicing mindfulness in real estate. With master's degrees in spiritual psychology and linguistics, Masha brings all of her skills to work with her clients. An intuit and empath, she has touched many lives with her outstanding ability to see beyond the visible and helping to come to better understanding of issues and their resolutions. An adventurous world traveler, from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania to exploring the Galapagos Islands, Masha has a particular passion for the City of Angels. Having landed in this paradise and adopted it as her home, she's been sharing old Hollywood stories since 2007. In the mood for California, feel the soul of old Hollywood. And now, are you ready to experience what it is like to be an actor in Hollywood? Once upon a time, long before the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, the landscape of Los Angeles was a serene expanse of rolling fields and fruitful orchards. It was a place of natural beauty, far removed from the bustling metropolis it would eventually become. The year was 1853, when Hollywood was officially established, with just a single adobe hut on the outskirts of Los Angeles. At that time, Hollywood was thriving as an agricultural community, with successful crop cultivation being the backbone of its economy. Interestingly, Hollywood owes its name to Deida, the wife of a real estate tycoon named Harvey Henderson Wilcox. They had migrated from Topeka, Kansas to Los Angeles in the 1880s and acquired 160 acres of land. During a train trip back east, Deida met a woman who shared stories of her home in Ohio, which was named after the Dutch settlement of Hollywood. 
Enamored by the name, Dada christened their ranch Hollywood upon her return. As the years went by, the community of Hollywood grew, and the first street, initially named Prospect Avenue, was later changed to Hollywood Boulevard. It saw the construction of city lots around dirt avenues and pepper trees, and by the early 1900s, the population had reached 500. The area boasted a post office, a newspaper, a couple of markets, and the Hollywood Hotel, signifying its evolution into a vibrant little town. Around this time, Hollywood caught the eye of filmmakers seeking a sanctuary away from the iron grip of Thomas Edison and his motion picture patents company, based in New Jersey. Edison's strict regulations on filmmaking technology stifled independent filmmakers, leading many to seek refuge on the West Coast to escape his legal clutches. Hollywood's appealing weather conditions and stunning landscapes also proved ideal for shooting films. As people flocked to Hollywood to chase their dreams and start anew, they were met with resistance from the local settlers who had lived there long before the film industry's arrival. The newcomers, recognizable stars of the budding industry, faced scorn and disdain with signs outside shops and establishments reading, No Dogs or Actors Allowed. Nonetheless, the allure of Hollywood persisted, and despite the local animosity, the town became the epicenter of the burgeoning movie business. With the advent of the silent movie era, Hollywood welcomed iconic actors such as Gloria Swanson, Mary Pickford, Clara Bow, John Barrymore, Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, Rudolph Valentino, Lon Chaney Sr., Harold Lloyd, and many more. However, there were still challenges lurking in the shadows. One of the earliest actors to act in Hollywood was Florence Annie Bridgewood, commonly known as Flo Lawrence or the Biograph Girl. Though her name would go down in film history, she faced the peculiar predicament of being an icon without a proper name during her time in the limelight. Fast forward to the present day. Hollywood is still at the forefront of the entertainment industry, but not without its issues. Recently, the Screen Actors Guild and American Federation of Television and Radio Artists joined forces with the Writers Guild of America in a strike. The strike aims to secure better pay and job security for actors, drawing attention to the growing disparities in the film and television industry exacerbated by the rise of streaming services. As the saga of Hollywood continues, it serves as a reminder of the dreams pursued and the hurdles overcome by actors who seek fame and recognition on its iconic streets. From humble beginnings as a simple ranch named by a woman with a vision to a global symbol of entertainment, Hollywood's history is woven with tales of resilience, creativity, and the pursuit of artistic expression. Today, the actor's struggle for fair treatment highlights the ongoing importance of fighting for their rights and shaping the future of the silver screen.
And so, the story of Hollywood and its stars is unfolding, etching its name in the annals of history as the ever-evolving heart of the entertainment world. And here we are. I'm so excited to have incredible Lee Purcell here with me. Multi-Emmy nominee, Lee Purcell has done her director and producer hat, as well as starring in virtual productions benefiting the Motion Picture and Television Fund. The Hollywood radio players invite you to enjoy the virtual anthology series that began with the War of the Worlds, based on the original 1938 broadcast by Orson Welles. Please check the list of shows at www.hollywoodradioplayers.com. As a young actress, Lee's film career began when she was personally selected and mentored by legendary movie star Steve McQueen to star in McQueen's solar productions film Adam at 6 a.m., opposite Michael Douglas. She will always be grateful to McQueen for his mentoring her and cherishes the time spent with him. Lee has starred opposite many of Hollywood's most popular leading men, including Mark Harmon, John Voight, Malcolm McDowell, Nicolas Cage, Jan Michael Vincent, Louis Gossett Jr., Chadwick Boseman, Gene Wilder, Robert Young, Orson Welles, Charles Bronson, James Gardner, Richard Thomas, Paul Sorvino, Barry Botswick, Jack Lord, Tom Selleck, R.J. Meade, and has the distinction of starring opposite two of Hollywood's most dynamic father-son duos, Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas, as well as Bo Bridges and Lloyd Bridges. Lee is the recipient of two primetime Emmy nominations, her first being for Long Road Home, starring opposite Mark Harmon, and the second for Secret Sins of the Fathers, starring opposite Bo Bridges. She recently completed the pilot Sick and was also recently seen in the film J.L. Ranch opposite John Voight and Melanie Griffith. Kids vs. Monsters opposite Malcolm McDowell and Francesca Eastwood, as well as Love at First Glance opposite Emmy Smart. Late 2019, Lee completed her starring role in Joey Travolta's Carol of the Bells. 2020-2021 have been spent working as a SAG board member to help industry members survive the COVID pandemic. You can follow Lee on Instagram at the Lee Purcell. Lee will share with us what it feels like to live in Los Angeles and to be a Hollywood actress. Hello, Lee. Hello, Masha. How are you today? I'm doing very well. How are you? I am good. It's a little hot right now in LA, but we will survive it. Yes, yes, we always survive the heat. <laughs> yes, we do. It's called summer. Yes, summers in LA are very famous for being super hot. And uh, despite the heat, I was really, really looking forward to our conversation. Me too. 
Yes, it's just uh, incredibly curious to find out about your journey as an actress in Hollywood, in Los Angeles, because so many people come here to try making it uh, in the acting world. So could you please share your personal experience of living in Los Angeles and what do you like the most about this city? Well, I, you know, Los Angeles has changed a lot. My great-grandparents lived here mm. and my grandmother and my great uncles and their families. And we used to come out and visit them from uh, wherever we were living at the time. We moved a lot when I was a child. Mm -hmm. And I always wanted to live in California. I just thought it was the most beautiful place on earth. Of course, it was very different then. That's a long time ago. But I, I, I thought it was the most beautiful place on earth. I couldn't believe it when I saw fruit growing on trees. Mm -hmm. I was just amazed that you could just reach up and pick an orange or a lemon, or a grapefruit, or an apple. And, you know, none of the places I lived had that. Mm. And then I thought it was, it was so beautiful. It was so colorful, Los Angeles was, with all the vivid flowers and plants and trees and charming houses. And I just thought it was the most beautiful place on earth. And I made my decision when I was very young that I was going to live in Los Angeles. And part of that decision was was driven uh, because I wanted to be an actress. I was an actress, but I wanted to pursue it professionally in either New York or Los Angeles. And because I had, my, my grandmother was here, and because I hate cold weather, <laughs> I just hate it, uh, I decided against New York and chose to come to Los Angeles as a, a very young adult and live here. And I have never regretted that decision, even though I have lived in other places, I have lived in Europe, I have lived in London, I lived in Canada and lived in Mexico. And but uh, Los Angeles is um, it's the heart for me. It's the heart. Mm -hmm. It has changed. We have um, problems now that we didn't used to have uh, for various reasons. And we won't get into that. I hope that the city will come back to what it was. I still love it here. I was I was outside the other day doing something and I looked up and I saw this utterly beautiful crystal blue sky with a few fluffy white clouds and the wind was blowing. And I thought, this is one of the most beautiful places on earth. And it was just that perfect LA moment that was just great. The birds singing and and it was just beautiful. Mm. Well, your words really touch me because the way you describe Los Angeles is exactly the way I see it. And it is also my heart. And I'm aware of all the various issues that the city is facing. And I hope we'll be able to handle them in the future. But it is absolutely the heart and the sky and the nature and also the scent of the air in Los Angeles is just so special. And I think that's why so many of us are here. I think so. And also to pursue their dreams like me, like you. And I think Los Angeles, it's a place you can come to to reinvent yourself mm -hmm. and to be yourself yes. without maybe the restrictions or the fixed ideas of how you should be you know, from where you grew up. Mm -hmm. I think that people who, you know, wanted to have a different kind of life than what was planned for them by others and what was expected of them. And they said, no, I, I have my own ideas about what my life is going to be like. And so they, they go to a city 
and uh, and Los Angeles is is for me. There are many cities, and I I love cities, uh, but Los Angeles is for me the city where I went to, and and also London, but Los Angeles longer, and where I was able to say, oh, this is what I want to do, and I want to pursue a professional career in acting, and and no one laughed at me, mm-hmm. whereas other places I had lived. I didn't dare say that because I knew I would be ridiculed and demeaned and not in Los Angeles because everybody came from someplace else, almost. Yes. You know, I mean, my son didn't because he was born here, but lucky him. So I think I think that's a, a major part of being in Los Angeles is that you are free to be yourself. Very, very true. Yes, I agree with you a hundred percent. And I'm extremely, extremely curious to find out what your journey was like, because you were an actress before you came to Los Angeles and you came here to pursue a career in acting. And maybe you can share some of your most memorable experiences that you've had throughout your career. and. Yes, what was it like to you know pursue your career in acting in Los Angeles? Well, it was uh, many things. It, it, that's that's a really big fat question <laughs> uh, um, that I can't possibly answer uh, fully in in our conversation. But I'll I'll give it a, a shot at answering it kind of succinctly. So I just was born a performer, and everybody knew it, and that's what I did. And um, I, my mother said I was on my, on the, on the tips of my toes before I could walk and I was dancing Mm. and I did end up being a dancer and, and did it up, you know, dancing on point. And then when I was, because we moved a lot to different places when I was young, we were living in Dallas and I was discovered by, I was three and I was discovered by a talent representative from, um, Neiman Marcus, which is a a huge um, chain of stores in the United States, and uh, the flag store, the main store, is in Dallas. Mm-hmm. So this uh, representative uh, saw me and asked my mother if we could come in and they could interview me to be a child model uh, for the store. And so we did. And uh, I, you know, it was a simple thing. It was like you know, walk over there, stand there, turn around you know, because I would be modeling clothes and they hired me. And that was my first paid uh, job. And I was three. And then when I was five, we were living in a different place. We were living in, um, we were living in the Millington Naval Base, which is in Tennessee, very, very close to Memphis, Tennessee. And somehow, and I don't actually know how this happened. I ended up on a regional TV talent show. And uh, my first performance was reciting a poem, and I did that show uh, on and off sporadically for the next eight years. And as I got older, I would have ideas, and I would call up the producers and say, "Oh, I think I'd like to do a dance. I've choreographed this new dance to this piece of music. I designed the costumes. Could I do that?" And they would say, "Sure," and I would go do that. And then sometimes they would call me and say, "You know, do you have anything? We're doing the show this Saturday." And, and maybe I would have something and maybe I wouldn't. And so I did that for, like I said, about eight years. 
And then after that, I was 13 and I, through my school, I got into a traveling performing group and um, I was the dancer. I was the choreographer. I sang in the trio. I played an instrument in the quartet and we uh, traveled around in that region at different schools and colleges and fairs and just all all kinds of wide variety of places. And I, I did that for a few years. And then I graduated early and I left. And in a very, in a very circuitous route, um, I worked as a maid in a national park. I went to college briefly, but my whole intent was to get to California and be a professional actress mm-hmm. in Hollywood. And so I, I did uh, by the time I was 19. And and then started doing all the things, you know, that young actresses do. I was taking classes and everything, singing, dancing, acting, uh, stunt work, um, everything. And and then uh, trying to, and then working a full-time job at night and uh, living a very uh, frugal, to put it mildly, uh, lifestyle. And I didn't have a car, so I was hitchhiking. You could do that in those days. And I was taking the bus and I was getting rides with uh, friends, people I would meet and uh, trying to get an agent. And that was hard because I had no, no professional credits. I had, I had all the regional credits, but I didn't have professional Hollywood credits. And I just started, I got the list of franchised agents from the union, um, which was then Screen Actors Guild, not SAG-AFTRA. And I got the list of agents and I thought, well, I, because I was injured in a uh, car accident, so I couldn't dance for quite a while because I had thought I would make a living dancing because there were a lot of dance shows at that time. And, but I couldn't because I had this injury I was still healing from. So then I thought I can do commercials. And so I started with the list, going down the list of commercial agents, started with the A's. Nobody wanted me, went through the B's. Nobody wanted me, went through the C's, almost to the end of the C's. And somebody wanted me. Hmm. Uh, so he signed me and uh, I started getting commercials. And that was great. And then somebody else said, you should uh, you should model. And I went, oh, God, not that again. But I, I thought, well, I can earn more money. So I, I got a modeling agent who was the biggest modeling agent on the West Coast and uh, Nina Blanchard and started modeling. I was still quite poor and lived in a really awful place, but I was, I was doing better. I was able to get an old car. And then uh, my commercial agent said to me one day, there's a film you should audition for. And I said, Oh, no, 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 I'm not ready for that. And he said, No, I really think you could do this. I like, nope, nope. He said, but you're studying, you've been studying for like two, two years or something. You're, you know, you're doing great. And I'm like, No, and he, he persisted for two weeks, telling me I should audition for this. And that is a very unusual thing, because commercial agents don't submit clients for theatrical films. Mm-hmm. It never happens. It doesn't happen now. It didn't happen then. But he just had an instinct. And so I finally said, okay, but you know, I'll fail and then I'll be embarrassed and you'll be embarrassed. And he's like, no, no, I have a feeling about this. So I auditioned five times uh, for that film. Wow. We can talk about another time when I can name it so I don't break union strike rules. 
And then um, on a Saturday morning before my, after my third audition, I got a call. Could you come to the studio? And I said, uh, sure. But I was out in my little gardening and I was dirty and sweaty and it was hot. And, and I said, just give me an hour. I'll be there. And they said, no, you have 10 minutes. And I said, oh, okay. And I thought, well, they just want to give me some more material because I knew my fourth audition was coming up and I'll just I'll look this I'll just look dirty and sweaty and I'll just run up the stairs because I knew the building quite well by that time and I'll just grab that material off the receptionist desk and run out and I I I ran up those stairs and uh, opened yanked open this door and there was Steve McQueen and he was producing the film that I was auditioning for and I said oh oh hi and he said hi I'm Steve and I said yeah I, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I said, well, I'm lean. He said, and I know that. And I said, okay. And uh, I wasn't afraid of him or anything because he was of an older generation. He was my parents' generation. And so I wasn't that enamored. I thought he was an amazing actor. I'd seen Bullet, but I hadn't seen much else he had done. But my parents were crazy about him. And they knew I had been auditioning for this film that he would he was producing, and so he said, "Let's let's talk." So we sat down and talked about three hours, and we talked about everything under the sun. Everything found out we had a lot in common, which was kind of interesting. He was the biggest movie star in the world, and I was no one, but we did have a lot in common. I rode motorcycles; he rode motorcycles. I had had a a rocky childhood. He had, he had had a rockier childhood. And uh, and we had a lot, a lot to talk about. And so after the three hours, I left and then went and did my fourth audition and found out I had made the cut uh, down to the final five. It started with 500 actresses and and then had been narrowed down to five. And so it was time for the screen test. And I went uh, and did the screen test. And then I found out I got the job and much to my pleasure. And um, and then when I got the call from my agent, and I got in the job and I had to say, well, you were right. And then the next call was from Steve. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, you were great. Wonderful audition. Now we're going to work on it. And I said, OK, because I was happy because, you know, this was I had never done a film. I had done one line on a TV show and some commercials and then the regional stuff I had done. And so we worked for, you know, for months and on this. And I, I knew how to act. That was obvious because I had studied so hard and for so long and had sacrificed so much. And if I didn't know how to act, I wouldn't have gotten the role. Mm-hmm. And um, and he was very complimentary about my work. And he said, there's a lot you need to learn. And he taught me all kinds of things about life, about managing money, about how to behave on a set you know, what each department did on the set and so forth. And that was how I, that was my story. That was my journey. And it, you know, he, he changed my life and he believed in me. And that was, I never forgot it. I'm very grateful to him. Wow. What a beautiful story. Completely life-changing. So, so beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Of course. Well, um, my next question to you is about Hollywood radio players. This is your creative and very innovative project maybe you could please um take us through the process of how you came up with the idea and steps that you took to bring it to life and what what is it like to produce a project like that well hollywood radio players is what we do is we recreate classic radio plays 
stories from the night from the golden age of radio, like the 1920s through the 1940s, and in a couple of decades beyond that, a little bit. And we're performing live until a pandemic hit. And then we were shut down like every other theater company in, in the world was. And we were, and the group of us were saying, well, what do we do now? And I had seen a friend of mine who was performing on Zoom. He was doing a very funny spoof of um, a soap opera. It wasn't like what we do, but it gave me the idea, like, I wonder if we could do classic radio plays on Zoom. That would be kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. And so we all discussed it and decided we would do it. And it was a huge learning curve at first because what we do, uh, nobody else has ever done. And we really created this. Uh, is very different from what my friend did, which was a very uh, clean and simple show with no special effects, no music, no sound effects, no costumes, uh, but but beautiful, wonderful, funny. and But we wanted to do it like we were accustomed to doing it on stage. Mm. And we wanted to have sound effects and special effects and not special effects, but sound effects. We wanted to have music. We wanted to have costumes. And we wanted to do all that, but on Zoom. But Zoom, as you know, was not created for that. Zoom was created for what we're doing right now. You know, it was created for interviews. It was created for corporate meetings. That's what it was good for, except with the rare exception of what my friend was doing and then what we wanted to do. So we started doing it, uh, doing one show at a time. And it was really hard because we were literally reinventing a, a medium and and it was hard because you only, you only see us from the chest up but yet we are in full costume and we have all the special effects and the sound effects and the music and uh, so we we had a learning curve and and we've come way past that learning curve now and we are in season two season one was nine episodes and and we have our own website hollywoodradioplayers.com that's hollywoodradioplayers.com. And then we have our YouTube channel, Hollywood Radio Players. And we're on social media and so forth. So if you want to see one of our shows, which I hope you do, the audience that's listening, um, please, and you can listen from all over the world. So you just go to hollywoodradioplayers.com and you'll see a drop down menu of all of our shows and then bios of all of us and our stories and how we came to be. And then... Uh, you just click on the show you want to watch. You know, maybe you want to watch War of the Worlds. Maybe you want to watch Gunsmoke. You know, we have uh, 10 shows that are up. They uh, take several months to make each one. Wow. It, it's uh, it's very complex what we do, but a lot of fun. Beautiful. You click on the show you want to watch. It takes you to our YouTube channel. The show will open up. You'll see our host. We've had two hosts, uh, Tom Berenger, who's a very well-known um, American host. And Emmy winner, and lots of big shows, Dancing with the Stars, and so forth. And then uh, Lisa Gibbons, who is our host now, and uh, she has was on Entertainment Tonight for a very long time, and she's amazing, beautiful, and talented. They're both incredibly talented people, so we're very lucky. And they introduce our shows, and they will and they will talk about the show. I write the intros. I write everything except for the plays. And then my partner, Michael Carnegie, my producing partner, he does the editing. Uh, we have other editors, but 
in season two, he does all the editing. And then we we take turns directing. And that's a lot of fun. So the one that's our newest one, uh, The Bickersons, which is up now, show number 10, I directed that. I directed War of the Worlds and I directed Father Knows Best. And then other people uh, shared the directing on other of our shows. And then um, they will tell you that our shows benefit the Motion Picture and Television Fund, which on the West Coast, that is the organizational charity for the entertainment industry uh, that is a 501c3, which means it's tax deductible if you can make a donation. And you can make a donation from anywhere in the world because you just click on a link and the hosts tell you how to do that. And that takes you to the MPTF. A donation site. We never, we don't take any of the money. We don't even see any of the money. It just goes right to them because they do a tremendous job. They've been around for over 100 years and they help people in the, in our industry who are in need. And throughout the pandemic, there are a lot of people in need. And now because we have two major strikes going on, industry strikes, the Writers Guild and my union, uh, SAG-AFTRA, once again, the need is very great. So you can see our shows for free, and we encourage you to see the shows, whether or not you can donate, because we want people to see the shows and to enjoy the shows and be entertained by our shows. We make them for that reason. And But then if you can donate something, and it's it doesn't have to be a lot, anything, it would help people in the industry who are in need. Because a lot of people think, people who are not in our industry... Um, who live in other places that, oh, everybody in the movie industry and the TV, they're all rich. And nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, in my union, there's 160,000 members and half of 1% are actually what you would call wealthy, half of 1%. Mm-hmm. And to qualify for health insurance, earned health insurance within my union, uh, you have to earn $26,000 and change a year to qualify, which isn't very much money, but 87% of the people in my union, 87% of 160,000 members do not qualify. They don't earn $26,000. They earn far less. And then the Motion Picture and Television Fund not only helps writers and actors and directors and producers, it helps people who hang the lights on the set. It helps the gaffers. It helps the um, caterers. It helps the medic. It it helps the costumers. It helps the makeup artists. It helps the people who bring in the green plants. It helps anybody who has any kind of a job anywhere in the motion picture and television industry. And so those people are not wealthy and they live paycheck to paycheck. So they need help. And during the pandemic, I know that Many people could not afford their rent. They couldn't afford their mortgage. They couldn't afford food. They couldn't afford gas for their cars. They couldn't afford health care. So the Motion Picture and Television Fund helped people with, with those things, those needs. So that is why we chose Motion Picture and Television Fund as the industry that our performances would benefit. It is a great organization, and we are very honored to be helping them. Wow. Lee, I really appreciate our conversation today. Your passion for Los Angeles and your deep concern for the welfare of people in the industry are truly inspiring to hear. 
and learning about the incredible support provided by the Motion Picture and Television Fund to those in need is truly heartwarming. So fantastic to know that donations to Hollywood radio players contribute to this cause. Thank you so much for your dedication. And I must say that your unwavering motivation and ability to adapt to the ever-changing entertainment world are truly, truly admirable. Thank you once again for sharing your insights and making a positive impact in the lives of others. Thank you, Lee. Thank you very much for tuning in to Feel and Experience Los Angeles with my special guest, Lee Purcell. If you enjoy my podcast, In the Mood for California, please sign up for future episodes at your preferred platform and please leave your feedback. I really appreciate your time and support. You can follow me on Instagram at In the Mood for California and check out my website www.inthemoodforcalifornia.com. I'm a realtor with Beverly and Company Luxury Properties, and my license number is 019-78714. Selling and buying homes with soul is not just my real estate strategy. It is an intuitive and holistic approach that embraces your values, aspirations, and conscious intentions. If you want to discover the power of mindfulness in your real estate journey with my compassionate guidance, I'm here for you. Next time, we will have a creative exploration of West Hollywood. I hope you'll be joining me. See you there. In the Mood for California, feel the soul of old Hollywood.